0: Welcome to The Farm Project, where a group of ex-members and concerned loved ones take a deep dive into the Christian nonprofit organization based in Holden, Missouri, called Harvest Home, Our Father's Farm. We want to caution our listeners, especially ex-farm members, that this episode comes with a trigger warning. This episode also comes with a disclaimer that the information presented and opinions expressed are solely our own.
1: Hi everyone, I am Dee, and I'm one of your hosts, and today I will be reading Elle's story. SC will be joining me later to discuss the contents of the story that I'm about to read to you. A couple of disclaimers that we have before we get into Elle's story is that all the names, uh, including the writers, have been changed for their protection per our privacy policy. This is something that we take very seriously, um, and we just want to let you know that you are safe here to share your stories. And we're so appreciative of those who have shared your stories, and it just means the world to us to be able to put these out there um, in a safe way for you. And if you are someone out there who's maybe considering sharing a story, we would love to hear from you. Um, Contact us on our website, where you can find all these other stories as well to read yourself if you prefer to read them. Um, And we would love to talk to you and see if sharing your story is something that you're open to. Um... At your own pace and um, obviously with that privacy policy in place. So um, another disclaimer that we have is that the information and opinions expressed in this story are solely the author's. And uh, without further ado, I am going to read you Elle's story. I had been struggling with alcoholism at that point for over a year and I was ready to be free. I had a friend who had been to the farm and had a good experience, so I thought I'd give it a try. I was told that they don't accept just anybody, but they pray about who they accept. I knew that because of that, I may be denied, which was worrisome to me because I desperately needed a change. While the farm was praying on it if I should be accepted, I went to a detox center in my city to get immediate help. I fully believed the farm would help me beat my addiction. While I was in detox, I heard that the cost to stay at the farm would be $300 a month. A friend of mine stepped up to organize a fundraiser for me to cover the expenses. I was told by the farm I was being accepted and urgently needed to come right away for a training that was going to start early in June. So I arranged a flight and arrived June first, 2020. When I arrived, two of the leaders went through all of my personal belongings, even flipping through my private prayer journals. I had such high expectations for how God would meet me. I had heard about God encounters and how they were life changing. I had a happy heart and was truly ready to work work hard and serve, which is exactly what I did. The labor on the farm is required and they never have a day where they are not working. After being there for a couple of weeks, I wondered, are we working so hard in the nearly 100 degree heat every day because the leaders believe it will work good in our hearts and result in us healing from our trauma? Or are they making us work because there is just a lot of work that needs to be done on this farm? I wonder if there was no work to do, and we were all caught up, would they still find labor for us to do? I found out pretty soon after wondering this that there are no days off. Even if the entire farm is caught up, I know this because one of the girls there told me, in quotes, when there is nothing for us to do, they make us move piles of rocks and bricks, end quote. That was a big red flag to me because I remember reading years ago about how the Nazis would force their victims in the concentration camps to do the exact same things, and since the labor on the farm is non negotiable, it seemed a little abusive. When I was in my addiction, I would sometimes wake up at 5 or 6 p.m. to start my day. So, in going to the farm, I had a complete schedule flip. There was one alarm clock in our bedroom and four of us on, on bunk beds. Since I was on the top bunk, when the alarm would go off in the morning, one of the girls on the lower bed would stop it. Because it takes a little more for me to wake up, I sometimes would accidentally fall back asleep. I wouldn't mean to. It would naturally just happen since I had not yet been adjusted to the schedule. This made me one minute late to morning prayer, one day, and I was told that it was unacceptable for me to be a single minute late for morning prayer, even though it takes about 10 minutes for everyone to move the chairs into position and get settled in before starting. At my God Encounter later that, on that day, I was simply sharing what had happened with one of the facilitators to my GE God Encounter session. I told her I was frustrated with myself for not being able to wake up easier and that this new schedule is a hard shock on my body. The woman I spoke with told me, in quotes, I have a solution. I have an extra alarm clock. Would that help you? You could keep it closer to the top bunk so you can reach it and that way you can set it to go off more than once so you have a better chance at getting up on time, end quote. I thought it was so polite for her to offer that. I said, yes, please. She told me that later that day, she would find it and get it to me. Later on that night, B approached me with harshness and accusation on her voice, In quotes. I heard you were going around asking people for alarm clocks. Why on earth didn't you bring an alarm clock with you if you knew you would be needing one, end quote. I responded with, um, I didn't think about it, I said, in quotes, it is not the responsibility of others to make sure you are awake on time, end quote. I really had no clue why she was yelling at me. I didn't do anything wrong. Looking back on it, this was really an opportunity for me to point out that she could have been kinder, kinder in her words, in her tone, when speaking to people. She spoke down to me for several minutes about how irresponsible I was, raising her voice at me the whole time. There was one night that I wasn't able to get any sleep. I laid in the bed for eight hours, wide awake. I remembered hearing that the next day was going to be an all-hands-on-deck farm labor day because we were laying sod and it was going to be a lot of work. I know myself when I don't get any sleep. I I cannot simply push through. I absolutely have difficulty functioning. When it was time to go to work, I explained to one of the leaders my situation and pleaded with her if I could take just this one day off of working. I was told she would think about it and get back to me. She let me rest for a little while. It was probably close to about 45 minutes to an hour while the others were getting ready to start working. Then, just as I was dozing off for the first time, I was awakened. In quotes, L, I let you rest for a little while. Now you have to come and work with the rest of us. End quote. I wanted so badly to honor the Lord and to to honor those in leadership as if I were serving Christ himself. I wanted to be a blessing and not a burden. So I got up, got ready, and worked all day in the heat, even though I didn't get any sleep at all. I believe it is because the Lord loves me that he gave me grace to complete that day, despite having no sympathy from the farm leadership. While I was there, a new girl came and she had clearly experienced a lot of trauma. Due to my past history with eating disorders, I could see it was something she struggled with. She was very quiet in her early days at the farm, dealing with anxiety and possible fear of people. I watched at dinner as she cut her food into small pieces and tried not to have the attention on her. I remember our house leader, B prodding her and asking her questions about her food, putting the spotlight on her. I remember even the next day, B asking her, in quotes, What did you eat for lunch? How did you make it? Due to my past eating disorder experiences, I was absolutely mortified for this poor girl. Horrifically mortified. The house leader, B, was either incompetent to do her job because of her age and forgetfulness, or she was completely uncaring and lazy when it came to keeping track of things. I say this because in her room, she had all of our stuff organized into separate bags. Phones, medicine, etc. Things we weren't allowed to have. Each person had their name labeled on their own plastic bag. Just about every time she went to grab someone's phone, she would bring out the wrong person's phone. I didn't understand how this could be happening since every bag had the person's name on it. I figured out when I ended up leaving the farm that she had been giving my medication away to other girls. It was just ibuprofen, but my entirely full bottle was almost empty when I got it back. This frustrated me since I did not have enough money to buy more right away and I get headaches regularly, so I actually need that medication. At the farm, on the top of the non-negotiable heavy labor every day, we had household chores. I was doing my chore one night, which included sweeping the outside walkway of any leaves or debris. I was almost done with my chore when B, the house leader, came outside, grabbed an extremely dirty rug from somewhere nearby and slammed it on the ground directly in front of me. She began beating all the dirt out of it, creating ample more work for me. I remember thinking about how rude and inconsiderate that was, but I bit my tongue and did not say anything to her. As I grew to know her more, I understood that this is how she treats the people she doesn't like. I was new, she didn't get a real opportunity to hear my heart about anything, yet she exemplified in her actions very clearly that she, that she wasn't wanting to give me a chance. Another thing I noticed about her was that if she realized you enjoyed a specific job or task, If you let her know you liked it, she made sure to never assign you that task ever again. She made it a point to bring frustration and misery in the working day. Example, if I wanted to work with the chickens and made a request for that, she would never assign me the chickens again, even though they need to be taken care of daily and nobody else loves working with them. She simply wanted wanted us all to dislike whatever labor we were assigned. While I was at the farm, I had a dear friend from elementary school I had recently reconnected with mail me a postcard. I wanted to write her a letter and mail her back. I had been in a treatment facility before, and asking for a stamp had not been an issue, so I figured it would be the same at the farm. Why would it be an issue? We mail out hundreds and hundreds of support letters. With all of that mail traffic, and additionally the finances coming in because of the support letters, wouldn't they be able to spare a single stamp? I had a meeting with my pastoral care team that day. I figured I would just ask them when I met with them. I went into the house of one of my pastoral care members, S, and I brought it up as one of the first topics thinking it would be easy to get it out of the way so I don't forget. I told them my friend had mailed me something and I'd like to respond. May I have a stamp to do so? It is also, it is difficult to explain how deeply her response impacted me and started pricking at all Of my stored up trauma. The very reason I was at the farm and had an alcohol addiction in my in the first place was loneliness and rejection. Being rejected by my friends and family led to a vicious alcohol problem. S looked at me with a very stoic and unfeeling expression. In quotes, "Do you have somebody that can bring you a stamp?" End quotes. I was confused, but I answered truthfully, "No, I don't." Being reminded that I had nobody on the outside caused tears to start welling up in me. I swallowed hard and tried to hide the tears. In quotes, Do you have somebody that can mail some stamps to you? End quote. I thought one of the reasons I was so deeply hurt by this interaction is that I was clearly, visibly having a reaction to trauma, yet her face was just so unchanging and her questions demanding. It was as if she was completely disconnected to her heart as we spoke. I answered her again, my voice shaky and tears now running down my face. No, I don't have anyone who can mail me stamps. She seemed so cold. In quotes, well then, I'm a little confused what you're thinking. Why would you have even brought this up to us? If you don't have anyone on the outside that can bring you a stamp or mail you stamps, then we simply cannot help you. How did you think you were going to mail a letter? I wanted the urge to open me up and swallow me whole. I was mortified and deeply hurt. I figured that maybe they didn't think I was worth a single stamp, which reaffirmed all my greatest fears and was beyond triggering to me. The shame I felt when I was reminded that I didn't have friends or family was terrible. I felt like a child in the principal's office, face red and chin quivering. As if I had done something terribly wrong and now I was trying to act normal. I simply said, I don't know. It's okay. Never mind. Z could see I was struggling, and I believe she felt genuine compassion for me. But S looked at me stern and said, Why are you here? We don't know much about your story. But her demeanor wasn't out of concern. I felt like there was no empathy for what I was experiencing. It was difficult for me to open my mouth to even speak, much less give details about the trauma I've experienced that led me to the farm. I felt trapped. She waited, demanding I give an account. I felt I had no choice. Weeping, I shared an extremely brief overview of my deepest, most painful experiences. I did not want to open up to this woman, but I felt I had to. The way she spoke to me was emotionally abusive. This is one of the worst memories of the farm. The whole time I was at the farm, I expected to hear the important training that I had to fly in as soon as possible for. But the only teaching Rhonda was giving was on demonic powers and principalities. I was so confused. Isn't this a healing center for trauma? Why are we hearing about all the principalities and not about God's love for us? About what he did on the cross? Why are there hours and hours of teachings that are non-negotiable to sit through on demons? This was unsettling to me. I was learning all about how a demonic power possessed a statue of Mary and made tears come out of her eyes, but not about the beauty of what Jesus did on the cross so that we could be free and delivered. Then I started hearing about soul fragmenting. I was told by a few different people on the farm that fully believe in Rhonda's teachings that pieces of their souls are locked away in hell and they have to get them out. This teaching is entirely unbiblical. If this were the case, was Jesus' blood not powerful enough to fully deliver me? What about the verse that declares who the Son sets free shall be free indeed? John eight thirty six, Rhonda's teaching on this is absolutely ludicrous. If Jesus' blood wasn't powerful enough to fully deliver me, then that means my salvation and deliverance is based upon my own works. I can assure you that that is not accurate. It is only by the grace through faith in Christ that we are healed and delivered. We do not have to free pieces of ourselves that are trapped in hell in order to be a whole person. Another ridiculous teaching is unclean spirits ronda teaches that unclean spirits can be people who have died but decided not to go directly to judgment as if we will get to make that choice but they decide to parade around the earth in search for a helpless person who they can possess to get the alcoholic drink they are still craving even though they are dead an example i heard explained to me at the farm was that there was once upon a time a man who was an alcoholic he died but didn't want to leave earth just yet so he wandered around and he went to a bar. And just as another guy was about to start drinking for the night, the dead guy possessed the living guy so that he could still get his fix. This is absolutely nowhere in Scripture. In fact, it is written in the opposite. In quotes, it is appointed unto man to die once, but after this, the judgment. End quote. Hebrews 9 27. After my first couple of weeks there a girl who had been at my house on the farm left. It started stirring up in me the desire to leave again. I didn't want to drink. I felt confident that I could stay sober. So at dinner one night I simply mentioned it to my house. I asked what they thought. B the house leader started sharing stories about how when she wanted to leave there was always grace for her. How the farm fought for her to stay because they wanted to see her walk in her victory. She said in quote I can't even tell you how many times I packed my bags and almost left this place. At least seven, end quote. Because she said this, I thought I was safe simply discussing my wrestle with the thought of leaving. I explained that I just wanted what God wanted for me, but the urge to leave was strong. I left it at that, but the next day, I was wrestling again. Because I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, the leaders held a meeting with Rhonda. Rhonda told me I needed to commit to a specific number of days and they will let me stay. But if they heard me mention it again at all i would be asked to leave this was confusing to me because b had just explained to me the day before how she had all of her bags packed at least seven times and yet they fought for her to stay but with me if i even mentioned i was thinking about it they didn't have the patience to work with me through it and talk it out with me i simply committed to the number of days and that was that but i felt a certain type of way about how they handled the situation. I stayed for almost one more week, but my glasses were broken and I needed to make an eye doctor appointment to get new ones because I am almost legally blind. I cannot see even five inches in front of my face without them. I was able to convince the leader to allow me to retrieve my phone long enough to make the phone call. Every time you make a phone call at the farm, they make you put the phone on speaker and sit near you while you talk so that they can hear everything you and the other person is saying. When you receive mail at the farm and when you send mail as well, they screen everything. I was on the phone with the eye doctor, and B was sitting right next to me. As I was trying to talk to the assistant on the other end, B kept interrupting me harshly and causing me to stumble over my words and lose my train of thought. I was beyond frustrated. I got to the part of the conversation where she wanted to nail down a time and date to book me. By this point, because of the way B was treating me while I was trying to talk to this woman, I had decided I was packing up my stuff and leaving the farm. I had had enough. I couldn't live with her any longer. I booked the appointment knowing I'd be available because I wouldn't be at the farm. B was being loud and angrily yelling at me, "In quotes, you're just going to have to call them back because I don't know if that day and time works for me, end quote. I told her, I'm leaving the farm. She told me that I would have to call for a ride and they would have to come after dinner. I felt a little relieved by this because I didn't know where I was going to stay or if there would be any food there. I went to my bedroom to pack up all my belongings after making a phone call and arranging a ride. I was truly planning on finding a homeless shelter. I had already moved out of my house, so I had nowhere to go. While some of the girls were in the kitchen preparing dinner, B suddenly stormed into my bedroom and said, in quotes, you have to be ready soon because I'm personally taking you before dinner. I'm not waiting on your ride to get here. Call and tell them to meet you. And when I drop you off, you know what? I'm not waiting for them to come pick you up. I'm pulling up, you're getting out, and I'm leaving. End quote. Because I was so relieved to be leaving the farm, I didn't argue or share my thought with her on how she was treating me at all. I simply packed my stuff, loaded it all into her truck, and we headed out. On our way out to the main road, she realized the hood to her truck was not latched. She slammed on the brakes and, quote, go close the hood, end quote. I didn't hesitate. I remember the entire time I lived with this woman. It seemed as if she thought everyone was there to serve her. While we were on our way to Lee Summit which is where my ride was going to pick me up, B spat these words out. End quote. Well, now you can go get your alcohol fix. Now you can go get your nicotine fix. End quote. I was absolutely shocked that she said this to me. Um, I'm actually not planning on drinking again. A strange aspect at the farm when you are leaving, they tell you that you are not allowed to tell anyone that you're leaving. You are not allowed to say goodbye to your roommates or friends. I thought this was weird, and as I have shared with friends some of my farm experiences, they have definitely agreed. End quote. Yeah, that's not normal. End quote. For some reason, that is how the farm does things. It makes me wonder what their reason truly is. They tell you that it causes others to become emotional. I would think that it's more painful to others to just wake up and see that you're gone. After a few weeks being away from the farm, I felt like I had made a mistake. Yes, the farm was difficult, and no, I didn't agree with everything at the farm, but a part of me felt that the healing I needed would come from being at the farm. So I sent a message and started the process to return. It took a few weeks to get everything squared away in order for me to return. When I returned, I noticed a lot of the girls were wearing my clothes. I had noticed I didn't come home with everything that I had while at the farm, but seeing my best friend's... Sweater on one of the girls upset me pretty badly. I thought, why on earth would they not have contacted me to let me know that I'd left my clothes here? Why would they just give them all away? I don't really know how to explain the feeling I felt. I think the best way to describe it is that I felt used, taken advantage of, and stolen from. It hurt my feelings that they couldn't make a simple phone call. Some of those items were very sentimental and I would have missed them very much. One of the girls told me that as soon as I left, B told all the girls to go through my clothes and whatever they didn't want to box up so that I could, it could be donated. I was absolutely livid about this. The girl wearing my best friend's sweater told me how sorry she was. She only went through the clothes because she was told that she could. She went through her closet and retrieved every item that she had taken, even though I told her some of some of the items she could keep. I felt bad for her. She clearly was not trying to steal anything from me. She had been misled by farm leadership, and so I wanted to be able to give her some of the clothes that she liked. She refused, telling me she was way too sorry to, telling me she was so, so sorry the farm had given my clothes away. I ended up becoming good friends with her, and we are still friends today. There was one day in the morning when B was giving us our instructions for the day, and she assigned me to work with C. We were told that we needed to go grab some shovels and then ride with B back to the building called The Haven. I don't remember what our assignment was. All I remember is that we were to ride on the golf cart with B. I asked permission to use the restroom quickly and B told me yes. When I came out of the restroom, everybody had left me. I knew B well enough to know that that I somehow was going to be blamed for not being on time. That somehow, even though I got permission to use the restroom, I was going to be reprimanded for not going back to the Haven with B. I don't know why this was so triggering for me. Probably because of all the abandonment issues I've experienced. I had an anxiety attack. I stood there on the road directly in front of the garden, hyperventilating and panicking. I just knew there was going to be some form of punishment coming to me. I didn't want to get into trouble, but I also didn't want to have to go walk back to the Haven alone. I waited. As soon as B returned, everything I had held in with how she had treated me came out all at once. I told her how ridiculous it was that she would tell me to do something and then leave me behind without proper communication. I had no idea where everybody went. I could tell for the first time that she did have compassion. When she saw me having the anxiety attack, I saw genuine compassion in her eyes. I didn't think she had it in her, but for the first time, she apologized and actually explained herself. I don't remember everything I said to her, but I know that I made sure to let her know how triggering that experience was for me. Her impatience and unwillingness to wait for a couple of minutes on me brought me to barely being able to breathe. On Friday nights at the farm, they observe Shabbat. We all gather at the Haven building and have dinner together. This meeting sometimes goes very long and there's no options for you to be released for bed early. It's like they don't take into consideration that laboring for eight hours every day in the 100 degree heat might not be a normal thing for some of us. I think this meeting should be optional, or at least if the Shabbat dinner is required to attend, then there should be a certain time where it's okay to be released for bed if the meeting keeps going. I could barely keep my eyes open and had no physical reserves to keep myself awake, but the meeting continued and did not end for hours and hours. One person after another would get up from their chair, take the microphone, and give Exorations and prophecy over each other, over others. I asked if I could leave to go to bed. I did not know why I needed to be there for this, but it became very clear that nobody cared how I was feeling. I was required to stay, and that was that. I began realizing that the farm is more detrimental to my healing than helpful. I mentally couldn't do it anymore. If it were just the physical labor in the extreme heat, maybe I could have handled that by myself. But the way I was talked to and treated by the house leader was unacceptable. I went off by myself and wept. The thought of leaving the farm was hard for me because there is sort of that culture there where if you leave, they make you feel as if you are walking away from your destiny and your salvation. This is not verbalized in exact exact terms, but when I mentioned that I wanted to leave again, the leaders treated it as if it were an emergency situation. The male leader in the men's house told me that he was deeply concerned about my decision. He spoke to me for about 10 minutes, pleading with me to stay. I had already made up my mind, and I let my house leader know. I was told to sleep on it and let them know my final decision in the morning. I woke up the next day with such a feeling of relief, knowing that I, that I wasn't going to be forced to labor or treated harshly any longer. After morning prayer was over, I let my house leader know right away that I would be leaving. Despite knowing this information, I was told I had to labor all day, and when the eight hours were completed, then I could receive my phone and make the necessary calls to arrange a ride. Since I had no idea who I was going to call for a ride and no clue where I was going to stay, I really should have been allowed to access my phone a lot sooner. At this point, I truly was feeling a captive to the farm. It felt like they were squeezing every last drop of labor out of me that they could. I was angry about it, but since all I could think about was how I was about to be free of that place, I submitted. While working in the garden that day, I mentioned to one of the girls that I was leaving. Suddenly, someone came to get me on a golf cart and brought me directly to B, and she told me, in quotes, you are not allowed to tell anyone you're leaving. That is absolutely not okay, End quote. I felt upset by this because I truly had made some friends on the farm who I would li- have liked to stay connected to. If I wasn't telling them I was leaving, how would I get their contacts and stay connected to them long-term? Well, I wanted to honor the farm and their rules, so I did not tell anyone else I was leaving. When my labor was completed for the day, I was finally allowed to begin packing my things. Since it was late, I didn't know if anybody would even answer their phone to me and drive an hour to pick me up. I got extremely lucky that a friend of mine, though she is a mother of six, was preparing dinner for her family, was able to come get me. She was an absolute lifesaver. I will not forget how I felt leaving the farm for the second time. I truly felt I was walking away from my destiny. I wondered if Jesus would somehow work out his plan for my life anyways. I prayed that he would. It felt like I was sinning horribly. After I was away from the farm for a couple of months, I had gotten a job and I was staying sober. I was at work one day and a friend from the farm called me, sobbing uncontrollably. She told me that the farm had stolen all of her money and kicked her out with nowhere to go. She needed a place to sleep that night. I told her she is most definitely definitely welcome to come and stay with me. Her testimony is hers to tell, but something I will share that she told me is this, in quotes, after you left the farm, the farm got more and more strict. They became very serious about letting people know that they need to cut off their family members, end quote. She told me that the farm is making everybody cut off all friends and family members who are not just unsaved, but even if they are Christians. But if they don't believe in everything Rhonda teaches exactly, they are being forced to cut off those family members. There's one woman on the farm who wept as she heard this news because she has Christian children who don't agree with everything Rhonda teaches. She wept because she knew she had to cut them out of her life entirely. I cannot even imagine what it would be like to be deceived to the degree that I would submit to that type of abuse. I pray that the farm is exposed and shut down as soon as possible. Hi everyone, SC has joined me uh, and I go by D, and we are chatting about the story that we just read to you, or I just read to you. Um, and we just wanted to have a little discussion afterwards, because we know these stories are kind of a lot to take in, a lot to process. And we have, um, SC is an ex-FARM member, so it's great to have her opinion on these things as well. And um, and then I get to just ask a lot of questions. So, you know, when I read this, it all these stories are tough to read. Um, and there's just a lot to them um but we have seen some similarities which i'm excited for you guys to hear as we go on and and read more stories to you um but some of the few things that stood out to me was just that uh l had a really hard time adjusting i think and that part was really it it was a little heartbreaking that you know Mm -hmm. she, she shares that she was you know she struggled with alcoholism and um just her Figuring out how to like get on the timing of the farm and how ridiculed she was for that was just really tough for me. I, I, that whole alarm clock story was just hard. I don't know what your thoughts were on that, SC.
0: Yeah, no, it, it it just seemed pointless. It's like, what are you trying to teach her? Right. (laughs) Like, I don't, I don't understand. You don't want to help her, but this is a helping farm. So, right. But we're going to torment the girl. Yeah. It doesn't make sense.
1: It just feels like from the beginning, there's no teamwork here. It's, it's Mm-mm. pretty individualistic and there's definitely a hierarchy. Um, and there's a lot of power being used, a lot of control and, and not to mention from the get go, she feels intimidated. She feels less than
0: she mm-hmm. feels like a
1: target probably. And this is just her first like few days on the farm. And, you know, in, in the fact that she continues on for so long too, is, um, actually pretty impressive but as we've said in other episodes I mean you get you you're really tired in her among everyone but especially when you don't sleep all night and then you're going to work all day that's just that's so tough so she's in such a vulnerable position um, from the beginning and another thing um, I know that the uh, the house leader uh, goes who they call B I know that that was somebody that Quite a few ex-members have mentioned, um, or at least kind of allude to, and so she—I <laughs> got some issues with her.
0: <laughs> well, she was my house mom. I
1: remember that I was waiting for you to chime in. I'm like, I need to hear what you got. <laughs> she was doing. my
0: house mom, and and you know what's crazy is that she was never rude to me. I don't know why. She and I got along just fine, but I would get frustrated with her because two of my housemates, one just she was mentally unwell and she wasn't being medicated so obviously she was constantly up and down so she would always get into it with b but then my other one who i considered my bestie on the farm she was this free spirit and just like an amazing just she was amazing to be around and b would just constantly stomp on her for just being this free spirit and that was so frustrating um and so when i'm hearing L talk about how B treated her. It's like, yeah, I don't think B liked, you know, my bestie on the farm. I don't think she did because she was always finding something that she was doing wrong. She didn't do this right. She would go pick her up from a job that she was doing to come reprimand her. And she tormented that poor girl that she would like be depressed when she had never struggled with depression. Hmm. So it is all true. It is all very yeah. true about B.
1: Well, and that's that's what's so tough is is that. In my mind, if I think of like a house leader or a house mom, (laughs) that's just not the characteristics I would think of a person who is leading a bunch of young women. And that's so tough for me is just feeling belittled like that when you're supposed to be finding healing and you're supposed to be finding, you know, a safe place to be and to talk. Like, I would not want to say anything at that point. And I feel like she just, she, yeah, she just constantly was on her and, it's just tough to read that kind of stuff. and so that gives us an insight too of of what not only the top leaders, Ronda and Danny, but then the people below them who are kind of representing them in these these situations, like they also I mean, I mean, honestly, there's some emotional and verbal abuse there. like that's just tough. and
0: um, I- um, well, when L is opening up, to pastoral staff when she's opening up to be when she's opening up and sharing like you would think that these people are there to be like their first point of contact mentorship whatever and there isn't like this agreement with if i share something with you it's safe you know or it's it's going to be safe um, and if it's something where i'm admitting to harming myself then that's when we need to get somebody else involved but like anything that l was telling them it was getting back to Rhonda it was getting back to other leaders and so what she shared with one person the whole farm already knew by the end of that afternoon and that just feels so like such a deep betrayal of trust because i shared with you this thing yeah but now so and so is coming over to me to reprimand me out of this conversation and it's so manipulative
1: right i feel like you would uh, in My opinion, I would feel like I had targets like on my back everywhere, everywhere. Like I, when you turn around, who knows who's going to come and yell at you for who knows what, and then that would just shut you down, which I think if, you know, a big part of healing or even just recovering is talking to people and having a safe space to do that. Hence, therapists and professionals, um, counselors, which they do not have on the farm. Um, And that's where it's just really tough. I don't understand how that's a healing environment or even just a healthy one in general
0: well I love how they don't believe in counselors like professional counselors but they say they have counseling but then they say that they have HIPAA like or they follow HIPAA but their way of following HIPAA is very like strange it's like you have to tell me because of HIPAA I don't know, yeah. the way that they follow HIPAA is clearly not HIPAA, no. but it's like, you have nobody that's licensed or like you have no medical staff, like you have nobody. To, like <laughs> there is no such thing as HIPAA no. on the farm. <laughs> I feel
1: like that's just one of their tactics to be manipulative and like sound like they know what they're doing or like they're just trying to be intimidating, but it's just not But they're literally just, yeah, they're just using a word um, to try to convince people that it's a safe space or this is what it's the way it's supposed to be. And that, you know that stuff's tough. And I mean, even just the postcard, like I was about crying, um, just like trying to read through that and even just reading it beforehand and reading it since like that part's hard. Like all she wanted to do was send a postcard to her friend. And, um, I think I believe in my intro, I shared that I have a friend, um, currently involved and I have sent them countless postcards and even, um, like gifts for their birthday. And only a select few of them have ever gotten a response that she actually got it. Um, And in the last year I've heard nothing. And so then that, that makes me think is I'm sitting here and they're probably telling her, yeah, we can't send that or no, we can't stamp that. And that is just like, really like you can't be in communication with the people you love by postcards because they won't give you a stamp even though you're paying them $300 a month to be there like that. Oh, it it irks me so much, and so to read her story was really heartbreaking. Of she just wanted to respond, and the length she had to get to get or go through to, and I don't even does she even get to send it? She doesn't even. I don't send think, it.
0: No, I don't think. No, she to send yeah,
1: it. yeah, it's just yeah.
0: yeah. Well, I mean, they every every letter or every package that comes in comes to one house, um, and they all kind of sort through these packages. Um, and even when I was on the farm, my husband sent me a package cause I wanted to, my bestie on the farm, I'll just call her my bestie from here on out. She loved Indian food and her birthday was very close to mine. And I was like, I will cook you, you know, butter chicken but I don't have any of the recipes or I don't have any of the seasonings. And I knew that uh, my house mom was not gonna go to the store for me to get that stuff. So I asked my husband to mail me all of like my seasonings And I remember opening the package and it like having to be out in the open and I had to pull everything out of the box and make sure. And if they're like, what's that? That's not just seasonings. Oh, well, he sent me some postcards so that I can mail letters. And, um, I remember even like to send, I didn't bring my Bible. Mm -hmm. I was in like, I didn't bring my Bible. I didn't know I was supposed to read my bring my Bible. And it was like, you didn't bring your Bible. So I had to like, ask him to ship me my Bible as well. And so that was a whole ordeal. So she probably, your friend is probably not getting her packages, right? Or probably has hasn't gotten some of them, which is unfortunately so
1: sad. And you're just, and you're like, what is so? uh it's it, it's it's like everything to them is a threat, and this is just a further proof, even from L, that if they couldn't like they're they're so threatened by someone getting a post uh, a stamp to post like to post something out of the not I just that just and no wonder she broke down and then she was also like triggered by that which is so fair um because you know a lot of her things were rejection and loneliness and to then be told that you can't communicate with your people tell me how that (laughs) where in the book of let's help people is that like that's just so frustrating to me and um she has several accounts of just different things like that and um, one of the things too that I thought was extremely interesting was when Rhonda apparently told the story of the unclean spirit of the alcoholic. And I'm like, that sounds oddly convenient. Um, that Rhonda's using that, and that's what was
0: yes, yes, yes. She's told that Which story I... when I was there too to explain <laughs> unclean spirits. And it's like, oh, okay, so if I am getting myself drunk, it's because I have an alcoholic in me okay it's not me it's not I, my free and, and, and will it's me all, and
1: she said um oh what did uh she she talked about how uh it came it was still around to like get its fix through you and i'm just like what the heck is going on
0: did she ever see casper <laughs> like when he tried to drink he's
1: actually getting a fix off of that but like and just stuff like that that like she and like she, she was going through that same kind of thing where she had an addiction to alcohol. And and like, how is that helpful? And and for someone who's saying clothes are going to trigger people, what you're saying is triggering people. Like that's what's so frustrating. They're so con- counterintuitive. Like it just, it just, it doesn't make sense to me how you know they're worried about the clothes that she brought in and those being triggering. But then what Rhonda says or what certain people say aren't triggering. Like that's just super um hypocritical in my opinion
0: well i highly doubt that the men were held to the standard of clothing as women and Mm -hmm. because i do remember seeing some guys like with you know like just tank tops or whatever and some of them were very muscular who cares okay you're working out in 100 degrees like who cares but i'm over here with my long leggings my long shirt that has to cover my butt because you know god forbid oh gosh that's so awful i yeah the double standard
1: like and and the funny thing is like i feel like the I, there are more correct me if i'm wrong but there are more women there than men right yes right like it's a huge majority and it's just interesting that other women too are so fixated on some of these things like and it it's really tough too because it's it's you would almost think that the women would come as, alongside other women right because they're like hey we got each other in some way, shape or form, but it's like, they're literally taking these ideals and just throwing them on these people and these women. And that's, that would be so hard for me. I just feel like my own, like, even the people I thought I would relate to the most because we're the same gender would be the people I could be feel safe with, or at least connect with. And they're the ones like kind of wreaking havoc.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, going back to what you said about, you know, what they're doing is triggering when Elle mentioned the, the new girl that clearly had an eating disorder and the way that B was asking her questions mm-hmm. and I, you know, I don't have any friends, anybody close to me that has had eating disorders, but from what I have seen, whether it be like on TV, you don't approach mm-hmm. someone in that manner who is struggling with eating disorders because you're going to trigger them. Right. Um, you know, and counseling for, for folks that have eating disorder is long, is extensive. And at the end of the day, it has to be their choice. Right. Because you can easily relapse, you know, like any other addiction. And it just seems so triggering. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're triggering these people.
1: Right. And it's, yeah, it's really, it was really tough to read that too. Cause, um, you know, there's, you have to go about in such a Careful way. Um, and that's what also broke my heart, too. Because, like, I'm just imagining that friend sitting there, you know, and being talked to like that. It's just going to make it worse. And so, that's what I feel like the lack of um, knowledge and the lack of education, the lack of obviously We're not experts, resources yeah. is what is one of the. Right, is one of the most frustrating parts of this because I'm like, you're claiming that all these things are triggering or you're claiming that these things are not gonna help someone and yet you're literally sitting there hurting people over and over and over again. And whether that's their intent or not, I mean, at this point, it's kind of like, how is it not? But nonetheless, you know, that's what's what's really tough is, is if they just knew a little bit more about how these things worked or like how, even just how the human mind, like that's what's so funny. They're very mm-hmm. manipulative and yet they seem to know nothing right. about the mind. <laughs> that's what's really twisted. And it's, it, that makes it really hard to understand Um, which I think we've said this before. We're not going to understand because we're not crazy. <laughs>
0: um
1: And so, so that's how I try to think about it. Cause otherwise I'll try too hard to understand what they're doing and why they're doing it, but it right. just doesn't make sense.
0: Well, for one, one of the things that she said for me that kind of, made me see the farm differently that I hadn't seen it before is how she compared it to a Nazi concentration camp and how, you know, when she's talking about where she's, if there's nothing to do, they will make you move rocks. And that was true. If there was nothing to do, we would literally have to go and pick weeds until our fingers hurt. And I mean, when I came home, that was the first thing I told people. It's like my hands and my feet have never hurt as much as, It has hurt in this season of my life because you are just doing hard labor and then when you don't have work you're still working so when i think of that it's like but i'm there to heal but i feel like i'm being punished i feel like this instead of prison you sent me here because when you compare the two i can't leave when i want um my everything is like monitored and checked and i can't speak to people unless it's a monitored phone call um i'm always working always working um so it basically feels like you're being punished for being broken and Mm -hmm. we are all broken because hello we're human beings so instead of us being received with grace and love and compassion and tenderness you're punished because you're broken um and so i think that made me change the thought of like yeah this this is just some type of work camp that is you know instead of prison you're you're there
1: yeah i mean it feels wild to even think that something like that exists in 2022 um you know and and we hear about that stuff in history books and we hear about it in other things and like that's the reality of it though and it's it's not a fun one it's a dark one um and you know we don't want to fixate on that necessarily but it is it that's The reality of it um and that I don't I don't know that's the end of my thought because I just my I can't it's hard to grasp
0: yeah well you know I love that Elle says this because I've said this before that the farm or when Rhonda is teaching she doesn't go into what Jesus did and has done like she'll mention Mm -hmm. it but then she'll go back to all the terrible things, the demons, mm-hmm. the you know, the the unclean spirits, the birds, the witches. Right.
1: Yeah. There's just a lot of negativity all the time. And and it's like one ounce of hope or encouragement, and then everything else is just doomsday.
0: Right, which is totally opposite of what Jesus is. He's supposed to bring light in the darkness, mm-hmm. but when that happens on the farm like oh my god thank god you know jesus healed me of this but we got to keep asking jesus to bring light to that issue because we're we're constantly being you know taken back into darkness and it's like that's not how grace works mm-hmm. and so it just pains me that there's so many women still on the farm that just don't know that what they are doing is not i, I mean it's not right it's not the right way like they're ready for forgiven like jesus <laughs> So, yeah. So I love that she said that because I said that before. Um, And the final thing that, you know, I struggled with was when B kind of like told her, Oh, now you can go back to drinking alcohol. Like, I mean, it's not my business to share B's business, but B was an addict. I mean, and she would always share stories of, you know, the struggles and how the farm helped her and healed her and all these things. And it's like, So, you know, that path, you know, 100% what it's like. And for you to say that to someone knowing what you have walked through, like, it just was so Mm -hmm. disappointing because B has walked that path.
1: Well, and yeah, there's just not a lot of compassion. I think that's one of the things, um, or even empathy because she's been through it. And you'd think that's the first thing she would have Mm -hmm. is empathy. Mm -hmm. And there's just not a lot of that. And I think, um, that's also like. Just not to like put this plug in, but that's what we're trying to do is offer, you know, that, that trust, that compassion, the grace, because, um, just as a team here, because we want to be everything or we don't want to be everything, but we want to show you that you can have everything you couldn't have there. Like, that's just, that's, what's so tough Mm -hmm. is is in, and there's not going to be people who treat you like that here, um, outside of the farm. Like, yes, there's going to be, of course we live in a fallen world, but like, uh yeah i don't it's a hard that's a hard thing to do because i know that the people there are just they're pretty consumed with what's going on but there's so much more
0: Mm -hmm. out here
1: there's so much good um that can be found within the right circles and within with the right support and expertise (laughs) um in professionalism and so that's just something where we read these stories to you and it's it's absolutely heartbreaking and um but it also just stirs a fire in our our hearts to be exactly the opposite of that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I always go back to my thought when I was there that God calls us to not be of the world, but we are a part of the world. And the way that you reach the world is Mm -hmm. by being in it. And so Rhonda's idea that, you are in this dome of protection. It's like, but that wasn't Jesus. I mean, Jesus himself walked all around, you know, to minister and to share the gospel. Well, I guess the gospel came afterwards, but you know, to share the good news and to share grace and love and kindness and to show what God Mm. really wanted and how we were supposed to be. But living under the dome of protection, you're not reaching people. Who are you reaching?
1: Yeah. That's like, I feel like in just my experience too, is like, that's like the church only ministering to each other. Like that's why we go out and we do missions. That's why we go out into the community. We go out to globally. We go out nationally. Like you don't just stay within the church because then we just stay the same and there'd be nothing coming from that. And so this is the same exact situation. And it is technically they claim to be some kind of like, like a church. So they're a nonprofit Christian organization. And so therefore like you're literally just, consumed with what's going on in here and you're not ministering to anybody at that point like because they've either already heard it or Mm -hmm. now they've heard some weird twisted version of it and like where is that going nowhere so that's that part yeah it's it's frustrating um and yeah Elle's story I mean we appreciate her sharing that it's a lot to share
0: and 100% and I just want you know, to emphasize that she's another person that is saying mm-hmm. the $300 mm-hmm. fee to live there, you know, whereas some leadership on the farm, including Rhonda, is saying that they never charge, you know, and it's like, but I'm telling you I was charged. Elle's telling the listener and the reader that she was charged. So, I mean, there's there's stories right. to back that
1: yeah. there was
0: a fee. And so, um I think if just felt like right. No, yeah, no, that's
1: super important. So if, if you're someone out there who has been on the farm and maybe has had that that experience where you did have to pay them and you want to reach out just to say that, like that's that's helpful. Um, that's just a piece uh that we can can use to show that this is a legitimate thing that has happened, even if they're denying it now. Um, and um, with that being said, too, just one final note on Elle's story. Towards the end, she kind of talks about how um she she left in twenty twenty right s c and I know she mm-hmm. kind of claims a little bit about yeah. um after that things getting pretty strict um and people being told to mm-hmm. cut off their families and just getting it it seems from what we've heard and the stories that we've gotten, and you'll you'll hear more as we go on um but there is this kind of chain of events happening where it does seem to be that things are getting worse. Um, and so that's just something that just to be mindful of that this is still happening and it's, and it's not getting any better at the moment. And so any and all stories, any and all, even if you just have like I said, one experience that you're like, yep. Or you just want to fact check up, fact check us. That is helpful too. Um, just another mm-hmm. voice. We want, we want all your voices if you're comfortable because that matters. And that's, what's going to be the, the, that's, what's going to be what, saves future people from getting involved and hopefully gets the people who are currently there out.
0: Thank you for listening to the Farm Project podcast. Subscribe to our podcast to be notified of new releases and updates. You can visit our website at www.thefarmprojectmo.org. And for more information, you can follow us on social media at thefarmproject_mo. underscore mo. Do you have a story to tell? You aren't alone. We will respect your privacy if you do decide to share it. Our goal is to warn others and also take solace in a shared grief. Connect with us on our website or social media to share your story or to just talk to another ex-farm member. And one last thing before we go, have a question about the episode you just heard? Hop on over to our website and submit your question by following the link on our homepage.